anybody there? It seems I'm all alone again. Does anybody care? This planet's empty. I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, 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 welcome, welcome. Uh, it is Friday, February, February, March 10th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. Yes, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. Uh, it's good to be back here on Friday. I've missed the past couple weeks. Uh, combination of doctor's appointments and little kind of uh kid stuff and sickness and all sorts of fun stuff like that but <clears throat> here we are back again <clears throat> although as you can hear i got a kind of cough that's been plaguing me this week anyways you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month head on over to patreon.com slash rc press you can help out the show by heading over to our youtube channel right now if you want you know if you're not there already Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you'll know every time that we go live. And if you're listening to the podcast version, make sure you leave us that five-star review. Let other people know what you like about the show. That helps other people find the show and spread the joy. Also want to remind you not to let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide pro- um, progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. On today's show, some of the things that we'll get to... Uh, The Supreme Court seems poised to strike down Biden's uh, student loan forgiveness program, not for constitutional reasons, mind you, Um, simply but because it doesn't seem like right-wing members of the courts like it. They have policy differences, so they're going to use their power to strike it down, it seems like. But we shall see. Also, and more on the power of dark money in our society, Biden's picked to serve as FCC commissioner, Gigi Sohn withdrew her name after 16 months of targeted pressure and harassment by communication industry's lobbyist groups. Sohn has a long history as a public interest advocate and would have been the first openly gay FCC commissioner. Not only that, by preventing uh, Biden appointing someone on the FCC commission, um, excuse me, it keeps that commission deadlocked in a 2-2 split between Democrat and Republican appointees, which means that communication industry gets to have its way because the regulators are at odds with each other and can't break the tie. That's what they want. Yes, and there was weirdness in Congress this week in the House oversight hearing on the weaponization of the federal government, so-called, and the so-called controversy over the Twitter files. Yeah, you know, Matt Taibbi may have kind of 
become a clown. <laughs> um, but I'm not exactly sure what the Democratic Party's game plan is either. So we'll talk a little about that. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, recent story today, actually, I believe it just dropped. N- N- NPR, National Public Radio, profiles a far-right group in Florida called National Socialist Florida. The story reveals the group's organizing tactics and savvy use of social media to spread hate and expand recruiting. <clears throat> it also does a nice job of showing some of those kind of, quote-unquote, soft connections between, you know, <clears throat> the rightward turn in the uh, Republican Party, particular. Um, Governor DeSantis's um, attacks on LGBTQ community and CRT and stuff like that, and how that links up really nicely with the neo-Nazis. Let's take a look at that. <clears throat> go closer to home. Yes, Penridge School District is now facing a lawsuit after playing games with the right to know law and playing hide and seek with books that the school board wants banned. We'll talk about Darren Lawson's lawsuit um, with Penridge School Board. Great article in the Bucks County Beacon on this and uh, that he wrote kind of explaining the lawsuit. It's really the kind of thing where you, you just got to read it to believe it. You know what I mean? It's like, are, did they really do? Yeah, well, they're due. They did. <clears throat> we'll talk about that. And Delaware County lawmaker Mike Zabels, uh, Zabel, Zabel st- uh, steps down following credible allegations of sexual harassment. Now, Zabel is a Democrat and uh, had the feeling that the uh, Democratic Party leadership were a little hesitant um, to push for his resignation because they were worried about losing their majority or having even a slimmer majority in the House. Now, not sure that was the reason why they dragged their feet so much, um, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander on this one, folks. So, uh, got to nip that right away. And Governor Shapiro made his first budget address this week, and that budget address, so this budget, is under fire already from education advocates who say he failed to adequately address the demand of a recent court ruling that found PA is in violation of its constitutional obligations to adequately fund all schools. Yes, he provided more funding in there. However, does not meet the requirements, right, of uh, equity when it comes in schools. And... His proposal to fund the Pashi system, uh, public higher ed in um, in Pennsylvania, is basically at a rate that's under inflation, which basically amounts to a cut. Yep, a cloak cut, a closeted cut, but a cut nonetheless. Warned you about him. <clears throat> and look, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to his podcast, wherever you get his podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across across all those platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And you know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal shines a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril has guests on that provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Um, You can subscribe to that wherever you get your podcast or head on directly to buckscountybeacon.podbean.com and hit them up there. Uh, It's been a great 
I mean, already the podcast is fantastic. We had a great special edition this past Wednesday, International Women's Day, um, looking at the kind of socialist, feminist kind of uh, history of International Working Women's Day and uh, pushing back a little against the kind of cultural and corporate appropriation of uh, International Women's Day by getting into some of that real history. Uh, fantastic um, interview this past week. Do check it out. Um, and attention all you gamers out there. The Game In, that's with two N's, the Game In is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, and kids get discounts when they get A's in their report cards. Can't beat that. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's at the Game In. If you got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, as always, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at SongadayMan. That's at SongadayMan on Twitter. And a uh, little programming notes. Uh, one informational, one kind of like very, very cool. Um, first, uh, we're going to be off next week. Um, so there will be no Out to Coop Live on Monday. Um, no Out to Coop Live on Monday the 13th. And no Friday Politics Roundup um, next week. Um, it's my spring break. And so we're taking a little bit of a breather. Um, I'm going to need it. And we need it. Um, so lots of uh, <clears throat> little downtime. Let's just put it that way. Um, but we will be back the following week. And when we come back the following week, I'm very, very excited to announce uh, once again, we talked about this in last week's uh, Out to Coop Live, um, that Monday, March 20th at 7 p.m., I welcome Aaron Gratz to the show. Now, Gratz is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 19 novels and graphic novels for young readers. Those include Two Degrees, Captain America, The Ghost Army, uh, Ground Zero, Refugee, Allies, Prisoner B3087, and Ban This Book. Now, remember, we've talked about this on this program. Uh, we had a guest on the program to talk about this. Uh, last month, uh, the Kutztown Area School District uh, canceled their one, book, one School, One Book program um, that was scheduled to read Gratz's 2022 best-selling book, Two Degrees. It was canceled because right-wing members of the school board and the community objected to the book's focus on climate change. Uh, we're going to talk about his book, um, Two Degrees, and the controversy. Uh, Gratz will also be in Kutztown on April 15th for the Kutztown University Children's Literature Conference. Um, so that's a nice little congruence that uh, not only did the uh, Kutztown Area School District rob their students of the chance of reading this book all together as part of one school, um, but they're also missing that kind of opportunity to kind of link up with uh, Gratz as he's in Kutztown. But we'll be talking to him on, um, again, Monday, March 20th at 7 p.m. Uh, he'll be on the show. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm actually really excited. My, uh, As I mentioned on the show before, once that happened, uh, the first thing that I went uh, and did is made sure I bought a copy of Two Degrees. Uh, my daughter's really thrilled about it. She's a huge fan. Uh, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really fun book. Uh, well, I shouldn't say fun book. Because it's like, you know, it's like it's a kind of like action-packed kind of thriller um, you know, kind of in danger from kind of catastrophic climate change and things like this. These kids are kind of navigating that. Um, but it's like, well, it's fun in the sense of like it's an engaging book. It's kind of like well-written, cool relationships, great character development, all that kind of stuff that you would expect. Um, but again, getting banned, getting canceled um, because it had that Alan Gratz had the gall 
to acknowledge that climate change is actually a thing that happens in the world, is happening in the world. So there you go. More right-wing extremism in our school boards, all the more reason why you need to support organizations like Coffee. We had Robin Underwood on the show, um, not this past week, but a week before, um, that is kind of working to stop this kind of extremist influence on, in the Kutztown Area School District. So um, on that. So very thrilled about that. So we'll be back on Monday, March 20th um, with Alan Grants. And look, if we want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punch's homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here, th- here, here for the fight. We need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement, the movement, the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, it's thrilled to be back here on Fridays. Um, I apologize for, like, as I said, the weird programming stuff <clears throat> over the past couple weeks. Um, it's a combination, like I said, of just kind of, you know, kind of sickness running through the family and uh, some doctor's appointments and me. You know, it's that kind of it's that time of year um, at uh, like at my work where all these, you know, there's like little obligations that you have to do in work, right? Different kinds of meetings, different kinds of stuff that he's paying attention to. In addition to loads of uh, student papers that start coming in um, for kind of like the first unit of my classes are all coming in around, around the same time. Then plus not, you know, then getting sick, which kind of throws everything off and be probably trying to play catch up. And then, kind of basically overscheduling myself um, or um, not realize, not really giving myself enough time to do what I need to do in days that then ends up something has to give. And <clears throat> unfortunately, then, um, the past two Fridays, this is what gave um, in addition to some other things. So I'll tell you that. Um, but so, yeah, so here we are. Um, we're, we are kind of back for today and um, happy to be here before uh, we hit the spring break where hopefully going to kind of recharge my batteries because it's uh, – <clears throat> I need it. Um, lots of stuff going on this week. Um, some few things that I want to talk about. I'd love to hear that there's things that are on your, on your mind. Uh, just kind of, you know, throw them into the chat. If you're listening live on YouTube, I'd love to hear it. I, I should, oh, should also mention, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this before I get into this week, uh, some of the stuff in the news this week. Um, I've been thinking about uh, some ways of changing up a little bit how, or, or like, not just how we deliver the show, but... Um, how we concentrate kind of building community around the show. Um, I, I'll be frank with you, is that um, ever since Elon Musk has taken over um, Twitter, um, Twitter has been a mess. Uh, we just saw it this past week. I didn't even put this in the show notes, but we saw this past week, you know, last Monday, I believe, uh, Twitter completely crashed uh, because they were doing an update and um, there was like some piece of code that wasn't kind of like done right or was missed or something happened and it basically crashed all of Twitter. Um, this has been like, you know, like this, this is not the first outage that has happened. Um, this one just happened to be a little bit more widespread. Um, but more importantly, given the fact that, that Twitter has cut its staff so dramatically and Elon Musk is basically instituting all these changes and stuff, it's 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 affected um, how many people see the show, right? Or kind of know it's coming. Now you know our, our numbers are pretty. Our, our numbers are pretty. You know, if you just look at kind of the numbers of people that are watching the show, or numbers of people that are um, 
kind of uh, doing it. We actually we actually found an increase in membership and stuff over this period, in part because you know guests we've have on and things like this, and um, thanks to all the kind of you know the Twitter warriors that we do have that have been getting the word out. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've, I've been asking around about this, and it's like again, it's not just limited to me. But with something as you know, basically happened with the algorithm and how their uh, how Twitter is kind of delivering, you know, letting what what it's allowing you to see, what's allowing you not to see. But listen, I'm not going down this big conspiracy kind of shadow banning thing. That's not the point. I really do think this is just a kind of question of like when you know Twitter is breaking. Um, I think that uh, I can't remember if it was Sam Cedar from the Majority Report or somebody who was on a show who was talking about Twitter as kind of like you know. The, uh, the, you know, the mall that's going out of business, right? It's going like, you know, that that big mall that is kind of, you know, basically like a ghost town in there. And that's what it kind of feels like. Um, so, like, I just started noticing things like, hey, there's a lot of people that, you know, I'm normally seeing in my feed that I just, I'm not seeing them anymore. And there's all these other people I have, they have no idea who they are. Um, and they're showing up. And then, of course, you know, I mean, just ways of... They changed it so they want to give you like a for you page versus your following page. And so I always make sure it's on my following page. So at least I'm, you know, expect to get it. But I just, you know, there's, there's some people you follow that are, you know, that you're kind of engaged with on a more regular basis. And there's other people you're following that you're you're not as kind of engaged with on a kind of everyday basis. Um, but, you, you know, you nonetheless, you're following them because they're, they're doing some interesting stuff. And you kind of want you're, you know, building a certain kind of community around things and like that well i was like finding that i was getting all these these retweets from like a few different accounts that i i just that i don't follow that you know i don't follow really closely right and you don't get nothing wrong with that it's like but then other folks that uh, i would normally see their content right away which is one of the reasons why i would spend you know spend time on twitter um those were not there now you know again kind of find ways around it. So, okay, well, if you want to see them, you just got to go back and you got to click on their page or, you know, click on their main profile. And then once you click on their main profile and read some of the stuff, it'll start showing up again. You know, that's fine if you've got like, you know, 20 followers or if you got 20 people you're running fine. But, you know, you know, on, on uh, you know, on Twitter, when you're kind of in the like thousands of followers, you can't just go back and just, you know, decide that you're going to, you know, choose, uh, you know, choose, to, you know, spend your day going through uh, all of your followers and clicking on their profiles and reading their stuff just so that they'll show up again on your page. Well, there's no guarantee that there's going to be, you know, um, that that's not going to just happen all over again, right? So, you know, we got like over whatever, over, over 2,500 um, <coughs> followers and we're following, you know, again, so over that. <coughs> so it's just kind of like one of those things that's kind of a bit annoying. And, you know, we've tried out things like, <clears throat> sorry, Mastodon and some other platforms. And while those platforms are, um, and while, while the platforms are, um, are interesting, like Mastodon's interesting as a platform, right? Kind of what people are doing there and so on. It doesn't serve the same purpose, right? It really is, you know, no pun intended, a different animal, right? It's, uh, you know, people are building community and stuff like this and having sorts of discussions, that kind of stuff. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it works in a different way, right? It doesn't work on an algorithm that boosts certain things. So that means, you know, fewer people are going to see your stuff. Now we've been lucky enough to have such a good group of uh, folks and a good community around us that have been pushing stuff out, but I've been looking for other ways to just kind of say, well, 
how do we then kind of make use of some other ways of direct engagement? Because it's, you know, it's not just the the numbers, right? You know, the kind of number of people watching the show, number of people sharing it, things like this. It's the engagement that I that I'm kind of missing a little bit more. So, um, so I'm going to do some things. I think just to kind of try them out um, on our Patreon page, in particular for. Um, you know, I, I think we'll start out, start doing kind of like a version for our patrons um, and just to kind of um, to see how it works. And then maybe we kind of open it up more broadly. But little things like, you know, say questions that people have that you want to, you know, um, want to have addressed or things that you're noticing or announcements that are coming up um, that you want me to plug on um, Out to Coop Live on Friday or Out to Coop Live, not Out to Coop Live so much, but on our Friday Politics Roundup. So we can make this Friday show have that little bit more of that community input feel, which I think would be kind of cool. So I think I'm going to put some forms together and have them up on Twitter. I'm sorry, up on our Patreon page. Um, and that, you know, if you're a patron of the show, you can go and you can kind of uh, kind of fill it out, kind of ask a question, submit an announcement or so on. And we'll do kind of like a mailbag um, over there. So, you know, just to kind of, just to kind of change it up a little bit, because I just... I'm just feeling a little bit uh, of that kind of detachment um, given what's been going on with Twitter. So um, <clears throat> just saying, just saying. Um, anyways, um, lots of stuff going on in the news today. Um, I'm not going to pretend to go through everything in part because I'm not, not feeling so great. Um, but uh, it's just, um, yeah, just want to focus on a few things. One, um, just been, it's been, Disturbingly fascinating following what's um, the uh, Supreme Court arguments um, that are hearing cases in um, about Biden's student loan forgiveness program. Um, you know, there's two cases that are kind of have, were brought together into one uh, one case. Um, the oral arguments were just delivered where um, one group is uh, one case is brought by two people, who two individuals who. Um, did not qualify for the uh, student loan forgiveness. And they're saying that's unfair. The problem with that argument is that what they're calling for as a solution is to basically cancel the program, right? So in other words, they haven't been harmed, right? Which is required to give you standing in a case. They have not been harmed, right? So it's like they weren't like asked to pay money, Right. But it's kind of more an abstract harm that because like because other people got it and I didn't. So therefore, I've been harmed, quote unquote. Supreme Court, even the conservative justice, were very, very skeptical of that argument, um, especially given the fact that the remedy that they're seeking is to cancel the entire program, which is to harm everybody else. <laughs> right. So it's not even, you know, it's clear. And this was, you know, people widely suspected this, um, but you never know with this Supreme Court. Um they widely suspected that that would get thrown out on standing or that would be just kind of dismissed eventually on standing because it's just a ridiculous argument. Um, the other one um, is basically calling upon the Supreme Court um, to um, pull this major questions doctrine thing out and basically cancel the program because it has, it has a major influence on society. Again, there's a standing question there about whether there actually will be any harm because there's hasn't been any harm, although there's one uh, there's one state, I say it's Michigan, but I'm not sure if it is. There's one state that um, does have some kind of public uh, some public uh, kind of wing, public government like 
office or something like this that helps facilitate the kind of loan, loan repayment that may actually have an impact upon um, the government because it will lose its fees, something along this. Um, very small impact, but but who knows? But what was interesting, and there was a, uh, um, it was a great show on this, I think it was on Wednesday, on um, the Majority Report, when they kind of uh, had some journalists on, they were talking about what was happening. And um, one of the things that was pointed out, and this has also been pointed out in some other reports, um, particularly the folks that are closely following Supreme Court stuff, that um, people like Samuel Alito and some of the right-wing members were not making legal arguments or or raising constitutional questions. They were raising policy questions. Why does that matter? Well, because Supreme Court justices are supposed to be making decisions based upon the constitutionality of the questions before them, right? Not to basically um, make policy judgments, right? And, you know, this has been one of the things that the the right wing has long uh, kind of claimed that the, you know, the left was doing, having these activist courts and so on, when... There's real questions about whether that was the case. You know, we can have that argument. But this is clearly a case where somebody, where the, you know, the justices themselves are asking policy questions about whether this policy is a good idea or not. And it was, it was a law that was passed, right, by a legislature, right? I mean, because let's be clear about in this case is that what Biden administration chose to use the um, HEROES Act to forgive some student loans, right? So remember, you had to have under $125,000 of income, right, to receive $10,000 in loan forgiveness if you qualified, right? If you also had um, Pell Grants, that could go up to $20,000, right? So, and where did that authority come to do that? Well, in the HEROES Act, it explicitly gives the Department of Education the ability to modify or eliminate loans um, in an emergency, right? And so, and this is, this was the HEROES Act happened a long time ago, right? The HEROES Act came after thinking about the emergencies brought on by 9-11 and so on and things like this. So it's not like the HEROES Act was about the pandemic, right? But nonetheless, an emergency was declared, right? Because of the pandemic, there was real economic impact on businesses and individuals who lost their jobs and so on. And therefore, there was also um, a direct impact on a kind of a student loan borrower's ability to repay a loan, right, because of the economic impact. So we know that they've already, they already put a halt on student loan payments, right? That was one, say, okay, we're gonna do a pause on that. Um, but because of the accumulated impacts, the ongoing economic impact of that, I said, okay, what we're also going to do is we're going to forgive $10,000 worth of those loans for people who make under $125,000, right? That are publicly held debt, right? That's not private loans. That, that, is not, that is outside the purview of this. But if you're, you're publicly held loans, government held loans, they're going to cancel those um, under those criteria. And so they're basing it upon the authority that was in the HEROES Act, right? So this is not a situation where it's just like Biden has an executive order that he just kind of makes up um, for himself, right, to order to do this, right? But it has to do with the executive carrying out, executing, right, executing laws that Congress has passed, 
right? And so it, it seems to me, right, it seems to most legal observers that, yes, the Biden administration does have the legal authority to do this. And actually, it was passed through Congress. So it has the congressional blessing of, of this, right? So it's everything is, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed. But the um, members of the Supreme Court, the right kind of a part of uh, part of the right wing, like, you know, um, like, like I said, Samuel Alito, uh, John Roberts, uh, we're asking about policy questions about whether or not this is a good policy. And that is clearly not the job of a Supreme Court justice. Now, people are speculating, well, it has to, you know, really, they're not just going after the policy, really, though, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get more power for themselves They're trying to trying to bring more power back to um, the Supreme Court to be able to, you know, decide policy. Um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But they're using this, you know, there's raising this questions or assuming that it's going to be about this major questions doctrine which was made up whole cloth by members, by, you know, by the kind of, say, right-wing legal machine, lobbyist organization, eventually right-wing kind of members of the Supreme Court, that basically say, when there's major questions, there's no criteria about what major questions are. It's like the major questions according to them, apparently. Then these other things don't apply. Then then an organization like, or I'm sorry, um, an administrative kind of agency like the Department of Education or like the EPA or like, you know, the, you, you name it, they are not able to, um, they cannot simply execute um, a policy that Congress has to legislate for the specific instance that they're dealing with. So for example, if um, the EPA decides that, okay, you know what, we need to kind of reduce carbon emissions. Right. So they say, well, no, they, you know, that's going to have a major impact. That's a major question. So the EPA can't do that. Right. Congress is going to actually have to kind of pass a new law that's going to tell the EPA exactly how many carbon emissions it can re it's going to reduce, like what percentage of carbon emissions is going to reduce and how that's going to happen. Right. Or the EPA, for example, as an administration, basically regulates things like toxic chemicals. Right. We just saw that huge trains, you know, you know, train derailment and kind of toxic chemicals being spewed into the air, right? Well, the major questions thing, that what they could do, what the Supreme Court could do, say, oh, this is a major question about the impact of this. Uh, and you know what? When the EPA, when it said that EPA had the right to regulate these chemicals, the chemicals that were on that train that derailed, right? The chemicals that were on that train, well, they didn't exist when that was originally passed. So the EPA, therefore, does not have the, the authority to regulate that specific chemical or that chemical spill unless Congress decides to give it that authority again. So it basically is a way of completely jamming up the way that um, kind of legislation works, the way that um, government works, right, as a, a way of making government practically being unable to respond to things in a, in a quick and efficient manner, right, which of course pisses people off, right, and makes people more angry at the government, which basically leads into the Republican hand, uh, basically saying you should privatize everything, right? I mean, that's the whole shock doctrine approach, right? Except this is a little bit more slow moving. It's not a hurricane. It's not a major earthquake. It's a slow moving juggernaut that is designed to destroy the public sector, right? And the Supreme Court, right wing members of the Supreme Court, try to put this kind of like constitutional cloak over everything by saying that it is you know, you know, has this doctrine and it's not even a doctrine. The doctrine comes out of nowhere. So 
We'll see where that goes. Now, we're not going to know the answer to this. We're not going to know what the Supreme Court thinks about this until next summer. Of course, unless like you have Alito or one of his people decide to kind of leak another um, Supreme Court ruling like they did last time. <clears throat> Let's see. The other reason I wanted to flag this, um, you know, again, it's a little bit inside the Beltway kind of uh, stuff, but it also, it, again, it, it demonstrates this, you know, the power of this dark money and the way that the kind of right wing will, you know, the lengths that they'll go in order to achieve their policy ends, right? So Biden chose uh, Gigi Sohn um, who, to be serve as a commissioner of the FCC. The FCC is, is like it's a five-person, um, there's five commissioners, right? And currently one is one is left, and so now it's a 2-2 split. Two of those were reported, appointed by Republicans, two of those appointed by Democrats. And, of course, they have very, very different um, visions about how we should regulate um, communications, right? Republicans basically want to, like, let, like, you know, communication corporations basically rule the day. Whereas the Democrats, I think, it has a little bit more, you know, uh, the idea about the public interest, right? Because the FCC basically regulates the public airways, which, which technically we're supposed to all own, Right. And when you have new forms of communication that come up, like, for example, the Internet, like the kind of massive consolidation of power and um, wealth in places like Silicon Valley with new emergent forms of technology, like social media, right? The Democrats on this thing are, are more open to basically, you know, say, hey, we should think about how we treat these kind of new communication forms, given that they're kind of significant impact upon the way that, you know, public operates and right there's a public interest here right so Gigi Cohn or Gigi Sohn I'm sorry um she was uh, nominated but she was nominated 16 months ago and since her nomination right she has faced personal attacks she has faced kind of harassment she is there's they've um the right wing has pulled out all sorts of lies about her uh, about her past right has blown out of proportion things that she said like so for example she put out a tweet at one point um, kind of pointing to uh, pointing to something that, you know, Trump's, let me see if I could pull up this part again. Um, so uh, well, I, oh, I should also say that it wasn't just Republicans that were coming out against her. Really what tipped the, um, what, what tipped it was, was Joe Manchin once again, right? Once he decided that he was going to vote against her, she's like, well, whatever, you know, I, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Right. Joe Manchin basically accused her of holding quote, partisan alliances with the far left groups, unquote. He said, especially now, the FCC must remain above the toxic part partisanship that Americans are sick and tired of. And Mrs. Sohn has clearly shown that she is not the person to do that, Manchin said. Manchin also accused Sohn of, quote, using inflammatory language on social media, unquote. Republicans opposed Sohn's nomination seized on tweets published during the Trump administration, blowing them up on a poster during her first confirmation hearing in December 2021. Quote, so do you still want me to believe that social media is more dangerous to our democracy than Fox News? Question mark. She tweeted in November 2020, sharing a CNN report about instructions Fox News gave to its talent about election results. Though Sohn said the aim of the tweet was to draw attention to the media ecosystem amid a broader debate about the role of technology in promoting misinformation, Senator Ted Cruz suggested the tweet meant that Sohn would censor conservative views if confirmed to the FCC. Cruz, now the top Republican on the Senate Com Commerce Committee, <clears throat> called the withdrawal a major victory in a, a Tuesday statement. The FCC is not a place for partisan activists. Free speech is too important. Blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> right? 
So as we're seeing more revelations right now about uh, what Fox News knew as part because of the Dominion lawsuit, we're starting to see more revel- revelations about like, you know, even people like Tucker Carlson, who basically were calling Trump at like, you know, an idiot um, kind of in private, right, saying that what he's doing is like, you know, completely wrong. Well, meanwhile, fostering and kind of fanning the flames of kind of, you know, the the big lie around the the election is stolen publicly behind the scenes. They knew it was all nonsense right up to the top of Fox News and Robert Murdoch. Right. So we see clear evidence. This is if that's not partisan interference. Right. That is anything but free speech. Right. That is a partisan agenda that's well funded. Right. And targeted. That would be something that would be in the public interest to actually um, have considerations about what do you do about this? And so. That's what she said. She tweeted about that. And plus, it is a tweet. <clears throat> and, you know, but the Republicans are just basically utilizing their their talking points. And, of course, you got a willing Joe Manchin, quote, unquote, Democrat in name. Joe Manchin willing to kind of, you know, do the heavy lifting for the, uh, for the Republicans to make sure that the Democrats cannot get anyone on there that is going to actually interfere with corporate accumulation. So there we have it. So Gigi Sohn, yep, um, who was as a long history as a uh you know, a uh, public interest service, uh, public interest advocate. Um, she would have been the first openly gay FCC commissioner um, by all, you know, stretches uh, or by all reports. She's, you know, she would have been a good watchdog. But this is what dark money does. And so, you know, she was facing all sorts of personal attacks. Um, there were people that, you know, again, it's some of, especially for these. Uh, <clears throat> here's a, here's another example. Um. So I'll just read again. This is from the Washington Post. Conservative groups spent hundreds of thousands of dollars attacking Sohn as partisan and extreme, leading campaign focused in states of several moderate Democrats who are already on the fence about Sohn. Quote, Gigi Sohn is too extreme for the FCC, read one billboard in Las Vegas that included Sohn's face and a link to a website for the American Accountability Foundation, a group that has opposed Biden nominees. The foundation and other conservative nonprofit organization, the Center for a Free Economy, placed more than $200,000 in Facebook ads opposing Sohn. In February, the foundation ran ads saying she was dangerous because she served on a board that opposes anti-sex trafficking efforts, a reference to Sohn's role as an advisor to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a nonprofit digital rights group. The rights, uh, uh, the rights group um, has uh, opposed a law granting federal and state prosecutors greater power to pursue websites that host said trafficking ads, warning that if they could force online platforms to use police users' search, quote, more forcefully, right? So they're basically taking things out of here, using their dark money influence to push out propaganda um, to sink her efforts. And finally, she's like, all right, this is too much. We're done. Here we are again, back to the question of, of dark money. <clears throat> Another thing I want to point out, so there was uh, also, speaking of Congress, the, these hearings, because now Republicans, of course, control the House. <clears throat> and the House Oversight Committee, is uh, the, the, they're having a hearing on the weaponization of the federal government. Now, of course, <clears throat> this is all just kind of like Republican showmanship. Um, <clears throat> and basically, basically pointing to the, the so-called Twitter files, right, which were basically, you know, the emails of um, kind of, staff members of Twitter talking about how to deal with some of the stuff around um, kind of election denying and so on. You may remember that this became a big deal when Elon Musk basically handed over all these like emails and internal uh, correspondence that was happening in Twitter about how to kind of deal with um, kind of what was happening in social media and the role that social media has been playing in uh, spreading conspiracies. Um, so Matt Taibbi basically uh, took the money, I mean, took the information, 
took the money and uh, ran with it and published it and claims that it's this, you know, the worst thing that's possible. Matt Taibbi even claimed that, you know, these Twitter files are more explosive and, and kind of more controversial, more important to the American public than uh, even like the, the 2008, um, the 2008 uh, economic collapse and amid bank fraud. Right. So this is like, you know, the big deal on the right. And of course, he came there as a Republican, uh, as a Republican witness. Um justifying his work and so on, right? Now, in Crooks and Liars, right? I mean, I think they <clears throat> put it right. Matt Taibbi proves that he's a clown during the House hearing. It was the title of their, um, their title of the piece. And look, <clears throat> I get it. I'm willing to even go there, right? My, Matt Taibbi used to do some really good work, um, like just like him and Gr Glenn Greenwald. Uh, they basically, you know, I don't know if it's just they saw where they're, you know, where the, where they could make a heck of a lot more money. Uh, there's a lot more people on the right that are willing to kind of like send, you know, tons of cash their way if they towed this kind of like supposedly free speech line while at the same time, uh, you know, basically repeating Republican talking points by claiming that, you know, the media is not objective while taking really partisan stuff and basically pre presenting it as truth, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so, you know, a hearing about these Twitter files and things like that is designed, you know, for talking points among the right to get everybody kind of everyone on the right, basically really all frothed up um, in time for 2024, all that stuff. I get that. I get all that. Right. So um, and there's Democrats on this committee and the Democrats are obviously, you know, pushing back against some of this stuff. Right. I mean, they're trying to push out the thing that got weird for me. Um, and. I have to think some more about this, but so I'll put it out there with this, you know, kind of bunch of caveats about I, I'm not making a definitive statement here about what the Democrats are doing here. But some of what I've seen now has really raised some concerns with me about what the Democrats think they're doing. So I started seeing these uh, excerpts of the hearing. I was not following it at all. Right. Because I think it's, you know, I, I just I just can't have that. I know what that is. I know the dog and pony show that it's going to happen, that it's going to happen there. And it's just not something I was willing to put any energy toward, right? To be frank, you know, I'd read stuff about it fine here and there, but I'm not going to follow it so closely, like as if it's, as, it's, as if it's a real thing. Um, but so I started seeing these, you know, posts that were saying, oh man, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, right? Conservative Democrat from Florida. Debbie Wasserman was like handed, you know, handed Taibbi is, you know, whatever, like slams Taibbi with his own words, right? This kind of stuff. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then you have, uh, what's his name? Um, Daniel Goldberg, is that his name? He was the lawyer who ran the uh, uh, impeachment hearings. He was questioning Taibbi too as well. Um, and then he has some other questioning. And so Goldberg stuff got got lots of uh, lots of play and people celebrating it. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. Destroy Taibbi and all this other kind of stuff. Meanwhile, you have you have Glenn Greenwald, right, and these other whatever suppose you know self proclaimed defenders of free speech, whatever, right? They're you know Tucker Carlson hacks for all I care. But going out and basically saying, look, this is a witch hunt. Look what the Democrats are doing, trying to destroy free speech of these journalists. Blah 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 blah. Right, and you also know that that's a sham. But so I decided, well, look, I just like the celebration of these attacks on Taibbi. I mean, he is a journalist, right? Celebration of, of the attacks on Taibbi among some on the kind of liberal left. Um, 
and they're really kind of were more centrist liberal kind of stuff that we're celebrating some of this stuff, like like capital you know on team blue all the time kind of kind of accounts and then celebrating this kind of that kind of so so I was going to see what's going on I want to see for myself <laughs> right I started watching some of the hearings and what's weird to me and this for me is like a little bit of a cause for concern is that the performance right which is a lot of what these hearings are all about is about the performance the performance by the democrats was to basically treat to, to run it like a legal court case right trying to get taibi to say things like yes or no answer yes or no answer right in order to kind of get him to say these things and i i have to say there even taibi said this in the in the hearing is that it's they you know <clears throat> They're, the Democrats were, were pushing a particular kind of narrative and they were wanting answers that were going to fit within that narrative, right? Which, again, this is not unusual for these hearings. But what was different is like, is like the way that they stage it as if they're putting Taibbi on trial, right? Even bringing lawyers to ask these questions and so on was odd to me. And I kept on thinking, is like, man, if I'm just kind of like a person who's not filing the news so much and I see this, this kind of stuff, it's going to feel like they're trying to railroad Taibi, right? And so I'm like, holy crap, right? You don't need to do this to Taibi to kind of already point out, or already kind of, you know, produce evidence that he's a clown, right? That he's basically whatever sold out or whatever it might be. I mean, you don't need to do that, right? You can let his own words undo him, right? So I think there was another way of coming out the hearing that would have been, not trying to cut him off from answering, because that's what they kept on doing, right? He would start to answer a question, and they say, yes or no. They kind of kept on keep on cutting it off. And for people who don't know any better, or for all these people on the right, there's a, there's a, there's a, a genuine question, right? Well, why won't they let him answer the question? Why won't they let him talk? Well, they're letting these other people talk, right? It makes it seem as though it's, it's, it's disingenuous, right? And instead, it would have been great to basically have him talk about how he got a hold about this. What were some of the decisions that go? How do you respond to looking at some of these other reports that found a lot of the things that you've published um, were not true, right? Um, and since then, you know, it's been unclear, or at least we're unaware of a place where you've acknowledged that what was published was inaccurate. And let him dig his own hole, right? I mean, that seemed to be more there. But I, I don't know. I don't know. So I'd be really curious what other folks think about that because it's like it's one of these things where I became concerned that the there's a particular segment of the Democratic Party, um, the same ones that are always watching MSNBC, right, who are still locked into like the Trump, right? I mean, I literally, okay, let me hear, here's a perfect example. <clears throat> I'm just going to pull up my podcasts, right? So I listen to all these podcasts, right? <clears throat> I'm going to pull up my podcast and I'm going to pull up all in with Chris Hayes. Okay. So here's, here's what we, here's, here's the last several episodes. I'm just giving you the titles for now, or if you want to get into it, we really can, right? <clears throat> um, yesterday, uh, Manhattan DA signals likely charges for Trump. 
two days before, Tucker Carlson, villain origin story. And this is all about kind of what he really said about Trump. Day before that, new bombshell text, testimony, emails released in Fox lawsuit. Again, stuff about Trump. Day before that, Trump promises he'll stay in 2024 race if indicted for that. And the day before that, Democrats debunked Jim Jordan's FBI whistleblower gambit. Well, that's a little different than non, not necessarily non-Trump. And then, again, now we've got kind of uh, back there before, much, Fox guilty of worst lie in the history of our democracy. Right? Again, about Trump. Dominion evidence spells future and legal trouble for Fox. Again, this is about kind of what was actually said with Trump and some of that. But, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Right? That's every show where Trump is the headline, Trump is the headline, and kind of staying within that kind of legal context of the Mueller hearings, right? I, and this is where I really think that what what Rachel Maddow did with that network by by going all, all Russia all the time, by looking for every little detail and speculating about every detail, bringing guests on to speculate about every little detail about what was happening in, the, in kind of with, um, with uh, um, Russia interference in the election, turned the way that that network actually covered news um, by focusing solely on these legal cases, right? They've built apparently fairly close relationships with all sorts of uh, the um, district attorneys, right? Um, and with uh, even folks in the FBI, right? They brought on um, different commentators that are were affiliated with the FBI. So it's just this kind of like, like, legal courtroom prosecutor kind of mentality to the way that the news is covered, right? The problem with that, of course, and there's a lot of things that are facing us right now that are absolutely critical that are not easily covered through the lens of a courtroom, right? That we need kind of actual journalism to be happening here um, about issues of direct concern to us as a public. And that extends beyond Trump. Do I, do I, am I saying that we should ignore Trump? Hell no. Right. But I'm saying that like, if you want to if you as a network make a decision that you're going to, you know, cover every little twist and turn in kind of like the prosecution of Trump across all these different things, that that should not be your lead story every single night. You want to cover it? Fine. Devote space to it every single night and say this is going to be one of the areas that we covered. Fine. Right. But I mean, I'm looking at a thousand and one other things that are that are going on um, that should not be the lead. And <clears throat> what I saw in the way that. Again, I'm I'm talking just wholly about the performance here, right? I mean, this is this is where I, I, I I'm really hesitant about making too strong of a claim, because because in the performance of it, it looked like the Mueller hearings all over again. It looked like we were talking about kind of Trump again, and I don't necessarily think that that is the most important thing that we need to be talking about, or we don't need to be constantly reminding people of that. Um, the Democratic leadership seems to believe that um, what, the only thing that they've got is is anti-Trump. And that's deeply problematic, especially since we're facing really catastrophic things happening in our history, right? I mean, we're talking about <clears throat> book bans like you've never seen before. We're talking about a climate crisis that is out of control. And nothing has been done to remedy it. <clears throat> shouldn't say nothing. Some things have been done. Right? Yes, some of the most most important uh, climate legislation that's ever been passed in the United States was passed under Biden. Yes, that's true. 
Um, but every climate expert will also say that it was far from enough. And we have seen now that the carbon emissions are now back to climbing again since the pandemic's over. So we're not seeing a reduction in climate emissions. We're seeing an increase in those emissions. Just as an example. Right. So anyways, <clears throat> be curious what you think about this, because it's just uh, <clears throat> it's been plaguing me for the past couple of days. Um, oh, last thing I'll say, there's a great um, story in um, <clears throat> uh, from NPR. Um, it is about this uh, this organization in Florida called the um, the um, <clears throat> National Socialist Florida, and a journalist is basically following them around Jacksonville, Florida. Um, as they have, they have this like little laser projector that they're projecting up on buildings, things like, you know, <clears throat> a cross intertwined with a swastika, right? That's part of what they're doing. They're doing kind of anti, uh, anti LGBTQ messages about this. Right. Um, and another message that they kind of projected up on a stadium, um, kind of once in a, during a college football game was like, Kanye was right about the Jews. Right. So I'm going to give you just a saying that to give you a sense of this, right? Um, the guy that they interviewed uh, was a guy by the name of, his last name is Nunez. Uh, his first name is what? Josh, Josh Nunez, right? Um, <clears throat> is uh, one of the people that is at the center of the story, right? Just in terms of what the journalist focuses on. And here's an example. Nunez and his group regular coordinate with other far-right groups, forming what the advocacy organization, the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, calls an unprecedented level of coordination among white nationalist groups in Florida. Quote, what we have seen is a certain types of activism definitely gets interest in recruitment up. And that's what we're, um, and that's where, and that's where, like the drag queen shit, this is Nunez again, and that's where, like the drag queen shit, like everybody wants to be part of the team shutting that down, says Nunez, referencing the manufactured hysteria over children in drag events stoked by politicians and pundits and spurred on by extremists like himself. Nunez and his group are intentionally choosing messages meant to resonate with mainstream conservative audiences. At the same time, mainstream political figures like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have fused some of these far-right talking points into their political rhetoric. This year, the governor tapped, in onto, uh, tapped into outrage fueled by disinformation over uh, critical race theory by threatening to end high school advanced placement courses in African-American studies. Last year, DeSantis signed the so-called Don't Say Gay law that barred uh, classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. There were 141 incidents of anti-LGBTQ protests and threats targeting specific drag events last year, according to um, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, um, an advocacy organization. In addition, protests against drag shows have been growing, uh, have been a growing target among far-right groups, according to data from the um, the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project. And here's the key: quote. We've just seen the largest upticks in recruitment from the drag stuff, Nunez says. He says the group began with just a handful of followers going out to protest drag shows last year, but it's been growing with demonstrations becoming a monthly occurrence. Quote, it's not uncommon to show up with 20 dudes now, says Nunez. We're hoping by the end of this year, we maybe got 30 or 40 guys. And it goes on. <clears throat> so 
it also documents the ways in which they're kind of attempting to peel the social media messages, the way they think about growing stuff. What's important for me about wanted I wanted to flag this and talk just a little bit about it and point you in that direction of this today was because um, it it shows you the way that these two kind of uh, the official re uh, Republican politics, uh, conservative Republican politics, right wing um, Republican politics and these, um, you know, extremist organizations, neo-Nazi groups, how their language is working in concert, right? Um, and and it's done in such a way that both parties could distance themselves from the other, right? But they nonetheless are drawing from the same pool, the same rhetorical pool, as it will. Um, we had, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had Patricia Roberts Miller on the show talking about demagoguery and democracy. And what we see right here happening is uh, literally right out of what she wrote about in that book, right? Right about what we talked about is about way that these discourses um, that are kind of extremists, they are kind of othering, they are kind of um, either or, and they are, they draw from a pool of violence and elimination um, that these, they're emerging, right? Between um, the, the quote unquote normal extremist voices and the official voices of the, uh, of the Republican party. Um, this is not new, of course, right? We've, this is one of the, has been one of our hobby horses on this show for a long time, but, um, it's good to see that NPR is kind of bringing these things together. And I think it's, you know, one of the things that we have to keep practicing of ourselves, right? Reminding ourselves of how these things work, of how this works structurally, not just how that bad person says this and how that bad person said this, but the ways that, um, the, the broad right in this, um, in this country right now is continuing to step down the, you know, the fascist playbook, right? As Patricia Roberts Miller said on our show, right? It's like, you know, it's like you're going up a ladder, right? It's like rarely do, uh, you know, fascists, um, that's the first thing that they say out of the gates is not like, let's commit genocide, right? That's that they don't start. That's not they don't go to that part, right? What they do is they take the first step on the ladder and work in that direction. Right? They work toward that kind of thing. And when you start with eliminationist eliminationist language, right? That you need to get rid of these people, right? You need to get rid of drag shows because they are evil and they are trying to, you know, corrupt our children is what these people keep on saying. If you start there, right, it's about eliminating that threat, right? And that logic of elimination, like, and censorship and book banning, right, is all part of that same playbook that goes in really, really dark directions quickly and is on the increase. So kudos to NPR for that. Do check out that article. Um, the article is called, uh, In Florida Far-Right Groups Look to Seize the Moment, <clears throat> right? Um, Reporting by Sergio Olmos and Jim Urquhart. Oh, great. Um, you can, what's also nice, too, is while you follow the link in our show notes, um, it'll also take you directly there. You can actually listen to it if you don't want to read it. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Penridge School District lawsuit um, and some other stuff that we got going on here in the state of Pennsylvania. For now, I want to remind you, you can help support this show by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress, where you can become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. I'm going to have some new content coming out there, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, we'll be back right after this with uh, lots more stuff. See you soon. 
Eric Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1968. That was the day that farm labor activist Cesar Chavez broke a 25-day fast. He fasted as a sign of commitment to nonviolence during the struggle for farm workers in Delano, California to gain fair wages and safe working conditions. During the fast, he only drank water. He broke the fast with a ceremonial mass in Delano. Presidential candidate Robert Kennedy was in attendance. At the mass, Chavez was too weak to give a speech, so he gave his written words to Reverend James Drake to share with those in attendance. He wrote, We are gathered here today not so much to observe the end of the fast, but because we are a family bound together in common struggle for justice. We are a union family celebrating our unity and the nonviolent nature of our movement. The fast has had different meanings for different people. Some of you may still wonder about its meaning and importance. It was not intended as a pressure against any growers. For that reason, we have suspended negotiations and arbitration proceedings and relaxed the militant picketing and boycotting of the strike during this period. I undertook the fast because my heart was filled with grief and pain for the suffering of the farm workers. The fast was first for me and then for all of us in this union. It was a fast for nonviolence and a call for sacrifice. Chavez engaged in two more long fasts during his life as an activist. He fasted in 1972 for 24 days. And in 1988, at the age of 61, he fasted for 36 days to highlight the harmful effects of pesticides on farm workers and their children. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. everybody welcome welcome back this is Kevin Mahoney creator and founder of Raging Chicken uh want to kind of give one more plug-in remind you that we will be off next week um but when we come back on Monday March 20th at 7 p.m we're going to welcome Alan Gratz to the show and Gratz is the uh, the number one New York Times best-selling author of 19 novels and graphic novels for young readers uh including one that is of current controversy in the Kutztown area school district a book called Two Degrees which deals with the um no story of four kids that are struggling against uh, the effects of catastrophic climate change. And um, that was banned by the Kutztown Area School District or shadow banned, right? Um, it was supposed to be part of their one school, one book program. Um, and uh, because you had some right wing members of their school board and in the community come out and say, climate change, not real. We got to have, the, you know, we need equal time to those people who say climate change is not real and the earth is flat and aliens are controlling lizard people on our, you know, whatever. So anyways, um, we'll be talking about Alan Gratz. We'll talk about his book, Two Degrees. Um, we'll talk about the controversy and so on. That's a Monday, March 20th at 7 p.m. Um, hope to see you there. Um, <clears throat> Other stuff for this week. So there was this fantastic article in the um, the Bucks County Beacon, written by Darren Lawson. Now Darren Lawson, he's uh, over here in the Penridge School District, um, and he is currently in a lawsuit um, against the Penridge School District, right? In part because, uh, if you recall, Penridge School District had passed a new policy that was um, 
basically designed to ban books, right? Like as we were talking about it, right? It was called Policy 109, right? Um, and so those changes, and this is uh, Darren writing here, so were aimed at quote were aimed at quote calling our libraries of so-called age inappropriate books guided not by trained librarians but by right-wing school board members' politics. Implementation of the policy was to be guided by a new set of content standards. The new standard was defined by the school board itself. Policy 109 was revised to include sex 32 times, unquote. All right. So basically what happened in the change of that policy is they want to put together a review. They're basically saying that, you know, hey, we want to have inappropriate. Uh, we don't want to have inappropriate stuff in our schools. Right. Um, and now there had already there's already a policy. Right. There's already a, uh, a process for that. You, Basically, the American Library Association reviews books to make them age appropriate. You have librarians which review these books and kind of include stuff in here. So there's already a process that's based upon professional standards, you know, and kind of experts in the field and look at what's age appropriate and all that kind of stuff, right? Regardless, that because you now have, uh, you have, you know, our kind of Q, QAnon adjacent school board, right? Our kind of extreme right wing extremist school board that are kind of, you know, all aboard Christian nationalism and all that other kinds of stuff. Um, they basically said, oh, no, look, there's no, we're going to change this policy and we are going to decide, right? Because now we have a kind of, you know, we can run roughshod over everybody since we completely dominate the school board. So that's what we're going to do. So anyways, so that takes place, right? That took place in what, 2021, I believe. Um, they passed the... Um, Maybe it was 2022. <laughs> All right. Um, so it was last spring. God. Um, so it was last spring. So anyways, so they passed that. And then there's a controversy that comes on. The parents are kind of basically um, going to check, you know, saying this, we don't want this and blah, blah, blah. And it goes back and forth, as we've seen in all these school boards. Um, but then in this article, Darren Lawson basically kind of says, okay, look, he was shocked by by what was happening in the school boards, shocked by like the intensity of this kind of right wing rhetoric and the extremism of this and the kind of, you know, the, their willingness to, you know, call things about smutty and filthy, all this other kinds of stuff, right? So he says, well, the next morning, this is again from his article, I navigated to the Penridge High School Library's online card catalog. I stumbled across something peculiar. Looking for Alaska by John Green, it said zero of nine copies available. Estimated wait in days was 358 to 359 days. That's right. Every single copy of the young adult novel was checked out for an entire year. Right? He kept on browsing. He said, it turned out the same was true for many other titles, including but not limited to Sold by Patricia McCormick, Flamer by Mike Curato, Sex is, not, is a Funny Word by Corey Silverberg, A Queer History of the United States for Young People by Richie Cavat, um, a Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Moss, and no surprise, allegedly by Tiffany Jackson. It would appear that the culling had officially begun. So all those books were basically checked out, and they were checked out for a year, which means every single copy was checked out, and no copies were available for students to read. This was happening at the same time that the school board was saying that, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't banned any copies. It hasn't taken them off the shelves. It's not kind of like um, barring, you know, um, students from having them, <clears throat> right? And what Lawson did is he took screenshots, right? So he's basically saying, like, this is not, don't take my word for it. Here's the, here's the screenshots that show you what I'm talking about, right? 
So he emails the superintendent, and the superintendent says, oh, I, I got to look into it. And then he's, the superintendent comes back and says, I have confirmed with the high school librarian that looking for Alaska is also being reviewed by her based on the criterion policy 109. All of our librarians are in the process of evaluating their collections based on the new policy language. I certainly hope it doesn't take 359 days for the review. Right? So offers it as this kind of bureaucratic problem. Oh, I just saw I didn't realize that. Oh, hopefully it doesn't take that long. And it's just kind of technicality or so on. Right? So this goes, this goes on and on and on. <clears throat> right? And then it finds out that at one point, lawyers get involved. Right? Lawyers get involved and... Um, or, you know, he's basically says, I want to see what's going on because um, Darren was basically saying, look, I want to, I want to, I want to find out what's true because I'm not getting right to answers. I'm your answers here. So he puts in a right to no request, right? He says, you know, members of the public have the right to access the records from a government agency that including school board. So he submitted, and this is back to his story. I, you know, he's, I submitted a, a right to no request for a record that I knew must exist. A report from the Penridge High School Library database of, quote, all titles checked out by those patrons that are not students, unquote, right? That was the 300, you know, 358, 358, nine days thing. He waited five business days with no response from the district, immediately opened an appeal from the PA Office of Open Records, and soon after that was contacted by an attorney representing the school board, uh, Penridge School District. She mailed me a report and requested that I withdraw my appeal. I opened the report, was surprised by the contents. Not a single controversial book was listed on the report, not even looking for Alaska. According to the online catalog, nothing had changed. All the books were still checked out and all still not due back until September 2023. The report was obviously incomplete and unresponsive. What the hell was going on? I was going to need help. Right? I hired an excellent open records lawyer, um, lawyer Joy Ramsing of Ramsing Legal, and they start going into this. And it turns out then Penridge School Board or School District starts playing games. Right, they basically basically check all the books back in, or you know, click a little thing. All the books are checked back in. They take a screenshot, print a report on it, saying it's all checked back in, and then immediately check them back all back out. Right. <clears throat> See how that works? So they're producing things to kind of pretend that they actually have books checked in, um, that they're not having these books banned, or they are still available for students when it's not really true. So anyways, Darren Lawson basically goes in and documents this stuff. I want to really encourage you to go check out this um, check out this article because what is happening in the Penridge School District, look, Penridge is not getting the same degree of scrutiny that is ha- of the Central Bucks in part because Central Bucks is, you know, second largest school district in, um, in, in Pennsylvania. It is the, um, it had for a long time um, really uh, – a certain kind of stellar status to it, right? You know, it was uh, supposed to be an excellent school district. Um, and you have <coughs> people in the Bucks County area. You have folks that commute to New York. And you have the kind of all these kind of networks of artists and writers and all this other kind of stuff built. So it's got this kind of status to it, right? And giving its size and its centrality in Pennsylvania. Um, and it's relatively kind of like uh, like relative wealth compared to a lot of most other districts. Um you know, it's drawn, Central Bucks is, has necessarily and appropriately drawn a lot of attention. But Penridge has really been kind of out in front of even Central Bucks on this stuff, right? Um, you know, Penridge basically led with policies of banning before Central Bucks takes them up, right? You know, Central uh, Penridge was, you know, had uh, extremists on the board before we saw this in other um, um, Bucks County areas. And you have kind of, re, you know, kind of strong connections with the local Republican machine 
um, to those folks that are on that school board. And they've, you know, given the way that the district is drawn and given the way the district is, um, they've effectively been able to lock out any other kind of opposition. So it's a really important test case. And so kudos to Darren for uh, putting forth this um, this legal case. I'm definitely going to reach out to Darren to see if uh, he and maybe if he and his lawyer might be willing to come on the podcast and talk about what's going on. Um, but do check it out. Again, the article is called Why I'm Taking Pen, uh, Penridge School District to Court um, by Darren Lawson. Uh, link for that will be in um, today's show notes. Great stuff. Um, what else did I want to talk about today? What else did I want to talk about today? Uh, oh, I know. Um, just a couple of things I just mentioned. Number one, you know, a lot of stuff in the news this week. Mike, Mike Zabel, or Zabel, I'm not sure to say his name, he stepped down following credible allegations of sexual harassment. Um, you had an organizer or lobbyist with uh, SEIU um, basically said that, you know, told the story, kind of out, you know, basically named him as being someone who uh, harassed her. Um, and then you had other folks, uh, other women who have come forward also with similar kinds of stories. Most of them did not go, were not going public with their names because they're worried about reprisals. Um, and the most disturbing part about this, in it, you know, in my, well, one, the ongoing, like, you know, turn the other cheek, look the other way, um, attitude towards ongoing sexual harassment in the Pennsylvania capital. Right? I mean, that's the that's the most disturbing. But then here <clears throat> is that there were not immediate calls um, from Democratic Party leadership in the state um, for uh, Zabel to kind of step down. Right, that they were going to try to handle handle it all internally through hearings and all this stuff. Now, look, I understand that you don't want to basically that everyone gives their you know, right to due process, right? <clears throat> That's all true. However, once somebody has been, once this has made it into the public with credible allegations, that somebody who's been willing to go on the record and testify about these things, <clears throat> if, if you've been the, in part a leadership of a party who's called for the resignation of lawmakers from the other political party who have committed sexual harassment, then, you know, you got to apply the same criteria to people that happen to have a D after their name too. I don't know what else to tell you. Now, eventually there was a lot of pushback, right? Uh, there was a lot of pressure put on the kind of the, the Democrats in Pennsylvania. Um, and Zabel basically said, Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to step down for my committees. And I mean, that's, that's, it's ridiculous, Right. It's ridiculous in terms of that, that that's somehow going to solve it and we're just going to go through the process. Um, so, but instead, eventually he stepped down, right? Apparently after encouragement from the Democratic leadership. So thank God, right? But, <coughs> you know, this is where this, this kind of party mentality is really messed up, right? When you're talking about things like sexual harassment, when you're talking about equity in education, when you're talking about uh, kind of like systemic racism, right? It's, it doesn't know party, Right. Maybe one party is worse than the other ones. Right. But there's still offenders in both parties. Right. So the idea is to have a standard that you're going to apply across the board. And I hope that continues um, that continues to be. And I hope that Democrats have learned their lesson. Um, look, it's a real concern. That the, the Democrats in this in this in the House have a slim majority. Right. And the fact that. This guy stepping down, right? And now there's going to have to be a special election, right? Which means Democrats could lose a seat, <clears throat> right? That's going to be of concern, obviously, of people in the party, right? 
still, this is wrong, right? I mean, I, I hope we're on the same page that we think sexual harassment, not something that should be tolerated, <clears throat> especially when it's not just like one incident where there was some some questionable, like, you know, back and forth. But when we have a pattern established, several people coming forward, I mean, come on. And I will point out that if both the Democrats and Republicans, both, but all those lawmakers, if they had been hard asses about this from the get-go, we wouldn't be in the situation now because someone like Zabel would never have been sitting in that seat still. But because people want to keep it hush-hush, because people don't want to kind of like um, call, you know, basically hold people accountable for their ongoing sexual harassment, here we are. So I've got no sympathy, right? I'm not, I don't even think it's a question, right? That's crazy. All right, last thing I'll say for for today. Oh, well, two more things I guess to say. The last thing I'll uh, one of the things I'll say is that um, you know, Gover- Governor Shapiro's first budget comes out <clears throat> and uh I don't know what to tell you. I think that um there's going to be a lot of discussion about this. I can I know that from uh my union president basically immediately that afternoon. I guess he was at Kutztown yesterday. Um and uh and Shapiro obviously just announced his budget. And uh, Ken Mash, who's the president of Abscoff, basically said directly, he said, look, he's only calling, he's calling for basically a 2% increase uh, for funds for Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education. That um, he's also not providing, there's not being funds that are going to be provided in there to make up for the cost of doing all this consolidation stuff. As again, the, the Chancellor, Chancellor Greenstein of the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education said, you know, thought that would, that would be fine, that would be taken care of. Um, it's clearly not. <clears throat> Um, the, um, I was just going to say, oh yeah, so that's clearly not going to happen, right? And so basically the president of APSCUF was, you know, saying, yeah, look, you got the the funding levels that are being proposed, right, are below the levels of inflation, uh, inflation, which basically will amount for a kind of de facto cut, right? <clears throat> that's how these things work, right? When people want to have it both ways, like by like showing through doing the PR move of kind of showing that less I'm increased for public higher education, but also <clears throat> having the voice of Republicans in the back of their head, right? And the kind of quote unquote moderate, the kind of, you know, this fictional center that everybody seems to kind of like kowtow towards, right? So having the kind of like, you know, fiscal conservative brain and kind of privatization of education brain that Shapiro's had for a long time, um, he also knows that um, that he's effectively um, appeasing those folks too as well by actually giving, you know, delivering a subtle cut. <clears throat> so here we are. We just have a monumental kind of historic case, like Supreme Court case um, in the state uh, or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, basically finally coming through, showing that surely enough, Pennsylvania is in violation of its own constitution by not providing adequate and equitable education, public education across the board. What does that mean? Right? Um, Said, okay, so it means that, okay, we have to address this. We've been ordered, right? We've been found guilty of this stuff. So educational advocates uh, were hopeful that Shapiro would come out with a kind of strong policy saying that we need to kind of Make up for this. <clears throat> Instead, he went kind of halfway. Yes, increases in education, but 
not drawing a line in the stand, basically saying we are going to come here and we have to kind of meet our obligations. We've been in violation of the Constitution for way too long and we cannot do this. Right. So therefore, this is going to be a priority to make sure to right a wrong that has, has inflicted has been inflicted upon too many of Pennsylvanians. Nope. Instead of doing that, does the wishy washy stuff. <clears throat> I, I I do feel that we're going to have our, you know, our work cut out for us under Shapiro administration because <clears throat> his tendency, he is not a progressive on a lot of issues. Yes, he's fantastic, right, on protecting a woman's right to choose. At least he has been up until now, right? He's been steadfast. He campaigned on that and all that. Fantastic, right? He's been fantastic, right, as attorney general. He was great about kind of, kind of rooting out a bunch of, um, a bunch of bad behavior, right? I mean, so, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to just kind of, you know, again, we have more options than good, bad, right? But I'm just saying you try to locate him on the political spectrum, right? And he is out of that kind of 90s democratic leadership kind of mold, right? With a little bit of better leanings when it comes to uh, kind of the, the cultural progressiveness. But when it comes to economic progressiveness, when it comes down to um, commitment to the public, when it comes down to it's going to be really interesting to see what he does on uh, labor rights. Uh, be very interested to see where he comes down on this stuff. But, you know, it seems that he's going to buy into a lot of the, you know, we are in fiscal crisis kind of stuff. Um, I was hoping that to see a little bit more of a, a willingness to stake some ground and fight for it um, on this first budget with the kind of recognition that he would probably have to negotiate and all that stuff. But we shall see. So something to check out. We're going to, I think I'm going to start following things that are happening in Shapiro administration a little more closely than I have the past few weeks, just because I've been, like I said, I've been kind of fried, been sick, been dealing with doctor's appointments, all that kind of stuff. So we shall see. Um, <clears throat> Janet basically says that I would love to hear Darren Lawson come on the show, discuss discoveries of the Penridge school, uh, school district library. Um, I'm going to reach out to him today. Um, see if he's willing to come on. Uh, I do recognize that there's in cases like this, when there's a legal case, Sometimes there's some hesitancy by the lawyers to actually um, to go too public about it. But given the fact that he's already written about it, um, maybe there'll be some uh, he'll be willing to come on. I'd love to have him kind of to come on and tell the story. So that would be awesome. I agree with you, Janet. Um, so good. Um, <clears throat> Janet also said, I would point out that Governor, Governor Shapiro did appoint a Republican PA Attorney General to replace the last two years of his seat. Um, bipartisanship and don't expect uh, her to be a warrior for abortion rights. That is a really, really good point. <clears throat> really good point. Um, yeah. The, uh, the cult of bipartisanship, right? I mean, the cult of bipartisanship is, I think, you know, Shapiro was part of that, right? You know, plus he comes from kind of mainline Pennsylvania, um, much more, uh, much more comfortable with the whole charterization of public schools, much more willing to buy into kind of the corporate um, arguments than uh, some other folks that might be saying from, you know, kind of, you know, center city, Philadelphia, or from other parts of the parts of the state. So we shall see. Um, and that's a really good point, Janet, but saying that uh, with a Republican PA attorney general um, that he appointed, she is not exactly going to be a, an abortion rights advocate. Um, there we have it. Do we need to say more than that? I don't know. I mean, th th all the more reasons we just got to pay a lot of attention to this guy and then uh, <coughs> keep up the pressure, I guess. Right. Um, so having said that, so 
Um, that's all the stuff that I really wanted to touch on today. The one thing I will say, I'll, I'll put in a plug for this. Um, so if you listen to the show Out to Coop Live this past week, we talked to um, – no, I'm sorry. I got distracted. Uh, we talked to um, <clears throat> um, Rowan Montgomery about two pieces that he wrote for In These Times, um, one about the community pushback against um, kind of corporate power and the, the Dungeons & Dragons community, and then about uh, anime voice actors um, basically organizing and pushbacking for um, – you know, uh, uh, fair wages and um, better working conditions, right? <clears throat> so that was kind of that. I love those two articles, love those two pieces. Um, and you all know, if you've been listening to the show, that, you know, I'm I'm kind of a fan of D&D and tabletop role-playing games. I wish I could play them more, um, but <clears throat> I'll take what I can get. But um, there's a, <clears throat> um, a friend of mine, one of my colleagues, Amy at work, uh, who is has a longtime D&D uh DM and player um, and stuff like this, who is like, has, you know, one of my people that I go to to ask questions once in a while, because I don't, you know, I'm still kind of learning how to DM and things like this. Um, but anyway, she's like, you know, that <clears throat> we were talking the other day and she asked me if um, I said she watches dimension 20, right. Which is one of these kind of, you know, um, uh, actual play D and D games that streams on um, streams on the internet. And uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan is the um, is the DM for this, and he's a great storyteller and so on. And I said, you know, I said I've seen part of his things before, but you know, their stories aren't all on YouTube, <clears throat> right? Um, so I, you know, I watch the Dungeon Run and have been for kind of a while. I watch say Critical Role to degree, and I follow them right because I, I get their content on YouTube, right? And uh, the uh, Dimension 20, which uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan and his crew kind of run, is, um, <clears throat> is it, it, I'm forgetting the name of the, <coughs> hopefully it'll come to me. But anyways, it's a, it's a pay, it, you have to subscribe to that, um, to that channel um, in order to get his, their content, all their content. So it's been kind of hard to follow up. I've been interested in it because I hear great things about it, but I just, you know, whatever, just one more thing to kind of pay five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, however it is to do that. And I'm just like, I just haven't done that. <clears throat> but so after, shortly after that conversation, um, I just came, I came across the, um, the fact that they're launching a new podcast, right? And not a YouTube channel, but uh, it was a podcast and it was called Worlds Beyond Number, <clears throat> right? And... It's, uh, I was like, oh, that's really cool. So let me go check this out. So while I wasn't willing to kind of drop the money in the subscription to go watch it online, plus because I don't have a lot of time to do it, podcast, I can, you know, when I'm in the morning, I'm getting, I'm making lunch for my kids, I'm doing all that kind of stuff, getting ready for go to work, or I'm listening in the car, <clears throat> I can listen to podcasts. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. And <clears throat> I, 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 so I subscribe to the podcast and I, I I'm loving it, right? So, I mean, if you're if you're someone who's who's D and D inclined, right, or tabletop role playing inclined, I, I would strongly recommend it. Uh, Worlds Beyond Number, they did this thing, and I'm not sure how many of these episodes are actually are released 100 publicly, right? Because they're doing these different kind of rollouts, but they did the coolest thing I I have ever seen. Now, again, I'm like I, I I'm always I'm always like reluctant to claim 
too much about, you know, my D and D knowledge. Cause I'm literally, I still very much think about myself as kind of like a newbie. I never had a chance to play as much as I've always wanted to. Never, uh, this is my first time DMing just for my kids. And we we're only able to play maybe once a month by the time we get everyone's schedules together. So it's like, <clears throat> but for me is like, it was one of the coolest things that they did. So you had, you know, in D and D and these tabletop role playing stuff, you basically, you create a character, right? And it's done through these stat blocks. You have like an, an armor class, like how hard it is to hit you, right? You have like your dexterity, how quick you are, your, your constitution, you know, um, how good of a stomach you got, so to speak, you know, <clears throat> wisdom, intelligence, strength, you know, like all these different kinds of things. So, and you kind of create your character and then, you know, for the role-playing part, you're kind of, you're choosing your kind of your background, you're choosing your ancestry, you're choosing um, your class, like, are you a wizard or are you a rogue or whatever like this? And so you, and then the more that you kind of invest into kind of your backstory as a character and stuff, the more that you can bring that to the role play of the game. And it makes kind of, that's, what's really fun about it. It's like collaborative story storytelling, right? Well, <clears throat> so usually what happens, you do that character creation and then you start your campaign, right? And there's a story about how the characters meet and so on. What they did here what was the coolest thing is they've, so they they all had their characters that they were they were going to start with, but then instead of just launching into the main campaign, they did this mini like pre campaign called the children's adventure, and so it's almost like okay these you know the the players have generated their characters they know what their characters they have lots of stuff in their backstory, but now you're going to rewind it like <coughs> twenty years or fifteen years however you know old they are, um at a time when they're kids and they first meet. Right. And so they, instead of just rolling for stats and stuff, they increase their stats or add to different kinds of abilities or learn different things as part of the story of them as children. It was such a cool thing. It was such a cool idea. It was such great storytelling. And uh, um, it was very fun to be part of. So I, I found that podcast, you know, I, I stumbled upon it and it's apparently it's rocketed to the, like, the charts. It's like the fastest growing, growing Patreon um, kind of in the history of the platform, right? It immediately rocketed to the top of uh, kind of, uh, say, fiction podcast and Apple podcast, right? <clears throat> Which I would, I didn't know. I mean, because I literally got to say, like, oh, let's see what else, you know, Brendan Lee Mulligan, see, looking on Twitter and things like, oh, this looks like they're interesting. Let me check this out. I'm a fan. So <clears throat> if you're interested in that kind of stuff, again, it's called um, <clears throat> Worlds Without Number. So that, uh, Worlds Beyond Number. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Um, it's a cool thing. Anyways, that's going to do it for me. I'm going to have to go make myself some tea because I'm starting to feel like a coughing fit coming on. So uh, thank you all for tuning in today. Uh, if you're tuning in as part of our podcast, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I appreciate it so much. And don't forget, um, make sure you like the stream. Make sure you subscribe to the channel so you get a notification channel, uh, notification every time we go live. If you listen to this as a podcast, make sure you leave us that five-star review. Um, let other people know why you like the show. Um, comment on this stuff. Let other people know why you like the show. It helps other people find this place. We get to amplify the great work of people um, that we cover. Um, last thing. What was the last thing I was going to say? Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to wish you a good weekend, right? All right. Remember, we're off next week. Um, we'll see you on the flip side when we get uh, return for Alan Gratz on Monday, March. Are we still in March? Yes. Monday, March 20th. Uh, 7 p.m. Alan Gratz will talk about his book, Two Degrees and the Controversy at Kutztown Area School District. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney. 
creator and founder of Raging Chicken. <clears throat> Before I lose my voice, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, thanks for the questions. Thanks for the comments. Oof. I need a break. All right, everybody. Take it easy. See ya. Let me try my people call. I guess I'll fly away now.